0: Alright, test, test. One, two, three. Hello, everybody. Good evening. I cannot see a single one of you, but I'm thankful you're here. Um, Hey, will y'all just give a hand to folks who have not seen each other's faces in months and came out and like set all this up for everybody today. There's folks, uh, people brought stuff over yesterday. We're setting up today, um, folks practicing together, and we're all out of practice from gathering, and so what courage it takes to... To risk coming and seeing each other, and I'm thankful to be here with you um, and get to share God's word with you tonight. I'm Jason. I'm a pastor with the house. And um, if I don't know you, I'd love to to get to know you. So I'll put my mask on afterwards, and uh, you can have your mask on, and you can come ahead of me from six feet away. That'd be great. Um, The scripture that Jadian just read to us comes from Revelation chapter 21. Um, It talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And here at the end of our scriptures, is an image of something that's coming. And the image is not us going up to heaven, but it's of heaven coming down to earth. It's not God dwelling in the clouds, but God with His people embodied on the earth. No more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more shame. The creation project that God has been engaged in from the beginning is complete. And surprise of surprise, it's just the beginning there at the end. And friends, we don't talk about this enough. We hardly talk about it at all. It's all over the Bible, and God has given us image after image, story after story of what's in store for us in order for us to be filled with hope and to have the strength and the courage and the faith to live the life that he's called us to live. But when we forget, or when we don't know what God has in store for us, we lose hope. We become people who can't stick with things, people who give up quickly, whose righteousness looks more like a fad diet than a new lifestyle. People who are filled with despair. And in my 23 years of following Jesus, I so rarely hear us talk to each other about what's coming. And I want that to change. Father, would you send your Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts and our minds would be holy and pleasing to you, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, if I told my kids that we're going to Disney World, they would be jazzed. They'd be absolutely over the moon. And even if it meant, of course, like some inconveniences and suffering, like maybe a fewer, you know, fewer gifts at Christmas, or somebody's going to have to take the middle seat and a long car ride. If it's Disney World, actually our family, it's probably whatever owns Harry Potter place or whatever, uh, or the new Star Wars place. I don't know who owns those things, but those would be cool. Um, My kids would be all about this and they'd be willing to forego some experiences. So if I was like, hey, Disney World, but somebody's got to sit in the middle, literally they're all probably raising their hands going, I'll do it if it means we can go there. They've just heard stories and they've seen pictures of it. They've never actually experienced it. They've never been there. But they are confident that what they imagine will have some real correlation to their experience when they get there. You see, they can get excited about it because their imagination has something to kind of sink its teeth into. But if instead I told my kids we we're going to Meow Wolf, and if you don't know what Meow Wolf is, you should look that up, it would be a totally different experience. I think Meow Wolf would be absolutely incredible. But, but because my kids know absolutely nothing about it, they, and they haven't heard the stories, their imagination hasn't been populated if I don't tell them about it, if I don't tell them what it's gonna be like and how I can, how can I expect them to get very excited about it? If I say things like kids we're going to Meow Wolf, I'm like, what's that? And I'm like, you can't possibly know. But it's gonna be cool. I'm like, can you tell me anything about it? No. What's it gonna be like? It's better than what you can imagine. So anything you're imagining, it's not that. You know kind of like they can't possibly get excited about it if they, they don't have anything in their experience their imagination that can attach to it. And if I just keep telling them it's going to be great but give them nothing for them to attach to, they aren't going to risk driving in the middle seat or getting a fewer of some fewer gifts at Christmas. The scriptures are so full of promises to come, full of promises for from the God who loves them full of what God is up to and what he's accomplishing in his whole creation. Just about every single book of the Bible has something to say about what God will do. And every single New Testament book, every single one, points to our eternal rewards in Christ Jesus, our inheritance, things to come. And yet so few of us talk about this or think about this, and we wonder why we're starved for hope and why the road seems so full of drudgery and questions like, is all this worth it? Emily or Reed, whoever's running slides, if y'all would put the scripture up from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul says, If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. This is from the Apostle Paul. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in this world. If, it, if our hope in Christ only refers to all the experience that we're having tonight or tomorrow or in our current romantic relationship or lack thereof, or, or the things that we'll experience in the next couple of years or, or in our 20s or even before we die, if that's all that this means, if that's all that this impacts, Paul says he pities us more than anyone in the world. Friends, Jesus rose in fact and in history from the grave. And He brings us with Him. What we see in Him is what He has in store for us. Paul uses in this same passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. I commend it to you. It's a remarkable chapter in the Bible. Paul uses an agricultural term. He he says, Jesus is like the first fruits of a harvest. If you're a farmer and you've got a plot of land and you're growing crops, the first fruits are the fruits which come up out of the ground first. Just before the main harvest has come. And that first fruit, which comes from your harvest, shows you what every other fruit is going to be like. If you're growing tomatoes and the first tomato sucks, you're disappointed because it's likely the whole crop is gonna look just like this. And if that first one is amazing, you're so excited. Because you, the whole rest of the crop is going to be just like this. Paul says Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection that is to come for each and every one of him. what we see in his resurrection is what's in store for us. Because Jesus was raised from the grave, so too shall we rise in bodies. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says this means for us. I want your imaginations to have something to attach to in this. This is from the end of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51-57. through 57. Paul says, let me tell you something wonderful. A mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet in heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal body replaced by an immortal body. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, death? Oh death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ, thank God. With all of this going for us, my dear, dear friends, Stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. When the Apostle Paul imagines the resurrection of our bodies in the age to come, he's able to taunt death. Who's afraid of you now, death? Death. When he hopes for what God has promised us in Jesus Christ, he's able to stand firm, to not hold back, to throw himself into the work of Jesus with confidence that nothing he does for our Lord is wasted. Because the resurrection doesn't just mean that death won't get the last word, it means that God isn't throwing all of this away. It means he's pulling something through death and bringing it into his renewed creation. Emily, who shared with us just a bit ago, Once she's one of our student interns, she threw herself into the work of Jesus on Sunday night, I swear, because she handwrote 90 personal notes so that anyone that we gave a Popsicle to on campus yesterday would have a small picture of how much God cares for them personally. Because of the resurrection, she can have confidence that her work in Jesus isn't wasted somehow. That's not just work to save people from a sinking ship. The times that you've kept your mouth shut for love. The times that you've opened it for love and been misunderstood. The ways in which you do battle against your sin that no one sees. The ways in which you've not yet given up. The content of our hope in Christ means that it's not wasted. And the more you keep your eyes fixed on the promises of Christ, the more confidence you can have in that reality. But the flip is also true if we forget the resurrection promise. Do you know what happens when we forget that death is swallowed up in life? What happens when death begins to have its ripple effects in our world? When, what, what happens when relationships die, when our efforts fail, when someone we love actually dies? We think, what's the point? Aren't we prone to in those moments to give up? To shrink back to think all of our work and the Lord is wasted? We move to despair. We last week we talked about this on Tuesday night. We set our light, we set our sights lower so that we don't suffer and get hurt so much again. We give up if we cease to, to hold the inheritance that we have in Jesus before our imagination, if we cease to believe in the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth, we don't stand firm. We hold back. We resist throwing ourselves into the work of the master because we'll wonder how much of art and It's a dance, dance party soon. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, we're going to have a good time. Okay, great. Um, We'll resist throwing ourselves into the work of the master because we'll wonder how much of our effort is just a waste of time, friends. We need hope in this life. Look, look at the comment feeds on your social media things. I don't even know. Are there comments on TikTok? Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that they're, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not there. I was, um, one of my favorite... This is—I've got to be careful right now. I might step on some toes. One of my favorite Instagram accounts is the Epic Christian Memes one. I don't know if you know that one. Um, I I like that one usually. But then there was a post yesterday, and I made the mistake of reading, like, a ton of comments. And I think there's a bunch of folks that are self-proclaimed Christians on there, and I'm like, this looks nothing like Jesus. The way in which we talk to each other. And there's some things that were so blatantly, like, obvious, but there was a lot of, like, arguments about scriptural passages yesterday on this one post. And so I was a little interested because I, I like studying the Bible and theology and how, I want to see how people are interpreting Scripture. And it's so—everybody's got like their favorite verses, and they just throw them out, and they—it's it's so interesting. But this one guy—and I mean, this probably isn't even close to the worst thing that was said on there. But this guy um, told this one woman that she was—he said, that's the dumbest thing I've read all day. And then he proceeded to like lecture her on a thing. And I was like, I wonder if he thinks he's doing good. Like, you know, like, does he think this? You know? But the way in which we treat each other is so, so heartbreaking. And I look at this in our social media feeds, which probably, this is one of the primary ways we're engaging with each other in the world over the past year. The ways in which we talk to each other in, in what, grocery stores, or we treat each other on the road when we're driving. What do we think when we're looking at each other at social gatherings and parties How about our family members and our friends? How are they in our hearts? The world needs hope right now, friends. There's so much despair and and protecting of our own self. We've all become curmudgeons in a way. We need hope. We need hope to stand ground and not just be like a, a passing fad or fit. We need hope if we want our work in the Lord to be something more than a fad. I know what happens when we start talking this way. Last week was the focus of some of this. Hope makes us vulnerable. We're all, every single one of us here is old enough to have already had our dreams stomped on a few times, to have had our hearts broken, our wills crushed. Hope makes us vulnerable and we don't like it. It is very hard to follow Jesus. Maybe it's impossible to follow Jesus without saying yes to vulnerability, friends. It's also just so dang hard to believe in something this good. Jesus (laughs) promises us something better than anything we've ever asked for. You see, we all just want a little peace, maybe some respect, maybe a good story, some season of a good romance. We'll take scraps from the king's table, but he's throwing us a feast And I've never heard someone hope for as much as Jesus promises. You and I just don't want to feel anxious for a little while. But God is promising that a corner will be turned in history when from that time on there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. That we'll see God face to face and celebrate life as His people on the new earth forever and ever in bodies that will never die. It's a big promise. I actually had a friend who spent almost 10 years walking away from Jesus because he said these promises are too good. He identified as a Christian, and when he started reading all of these promises in the New Testament that so many of us ignore, they're all over the place. He said, that's it, I'm done, because this is too much for me to believe, and it made him too vulnerable. He's following Jesus again because Jesus... Uh, Well, he's following Jesus again for the same reason he walked away. Because Jesus is the only one promising what he promises. He's the only one with the words of eternal life. As um, Toby's core group, I think you're up here, uh, knows, I can talk about this stuff for a very long time. (laughs) Um, The scriptures go on and on about this, and my heart breaks for how little we know about what God has in store. We say things like, i got to be careful right now because I don't, I don't want to offend any of you as I say this. I really don't. It just, it's so heartbreaking how little we know that we'll say things like, you know, my, my friend who died is an angel now. But angels are a different species. That's like saying my friend who died is a cat now. That's not what the Scriptures promise. That, that's not what the, and, and it's really hard for your imagination and for your hope to attach to something like this. Because you know what I want for the people I love that have died? I want to see them again. I don't want to see somebody else. Christian, it's time we start talking about this more. For the sake of our confidence, for the sake of our joy, for the sake of the witness of Jesus in the world, what would it look like to hope for more than just managing our sin? What would it look like for us to hope for more than just some Christian version of karma? that many of us believe in the present age? What would it look like for us to hope for more than anything this world can offer? Christian, do you know that the promises of Jesus are not that you go to heaven when you die? It's that heaven comes to earth. Christian, do you know that the promises of God are not that we'll sit on clouds and sing songs for millions of years? that we'll live together in culture and community on a renewed earth? How would it change our experience in the world if we actually began to believe that our bodies will one day rise from the grave? That Jesus, the one we worship in history, sits over all things and will make all things right. That heaven will come to earth like we pray for over and over again in the Lord's Prayer. That we will know what it means to be fully and finally reconciled to one another. That we will feel and experience no more shame. Can you imagine No more tears, no more death. All of this is ours in Jesus Christ, friends. All of this is riddled throughout the pages of the New Testament. If you want me to point you in the direction of a lot of those verses and passages, I would be so honored. It would be some of my favorite way to spend time. It would be with you this next week, talking about the, the hope that we have, friends. Christian, do you know what your hope is? It's that we belong, body and soul, in this life and the next to Jesus Christ who gives us His entire kingdom. You want to put up that quote from C.S. Lewis? It's hard to have a sermon without a quote from C.S. Lewis. This is one of my favorites. All the while, in the words of Lewis, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition I'm going to pause for a minute. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he just can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Friends, I pray God would awaken your hungers, that you would be harder to please. that your hopes would rise to the level of heaven and that you would be satisfied with nothing less than what Jesus Christ is offering you. He has risen from the grave and so too we shall rise and inherit a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So lift your weary head, strengthen your weak knees, fix your eyes on all that's still in store for us and for the love of God and the good of the world, Can we please start talking about the Christian hope with each other more? Because I would like for you and I and for my kids to be more excited about what God is up to than going to Disney World. Let me pray. Father, would you impress upon us, send your Spirit to impress upon us your promises, disrupt us, and make us people who are not so easily pleased with other things, with lesser gods, with foolish idols, which, with things which steal our life and, and cause death in our relationships and in our world. Father, you know how little we ask for. You know how often all we ask for is just a night of peace or just to get through a moment. And yet your son Jesus tells us that it's your good pleasure to give us the entire kingdom that he's bringing into the world. Stir us up, please. Father, you know we can't do this alone either. So send your spirit to um, turn our eyes to our friends and to our roommates, to our family members. Help us to be people who proclaim the excellencies of your kingdom to each other, who sing psalms and hymns to one another, who remind each other where our hope is found and it's not in a date, it's not in a job, it's not in a a, a bunch of likes or hearts or stories. Make us people, Lord, who are satisfied only with what you have to offer. You've promised us so, so much. I pray for your whole church around this world to be speaking of this more. How can we possibly live the life you've called us to live unless you are giving us promises like this anyway? In the next little bit, um, would you receive our praise even if our, our praise is really just a prayer? Would you be pleased with it? Would you pour out your spirit upon us and prepare us um, to, to come together at your table too? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.